0: Hello and welcome to the Day in Sports podcast. Today, we're going to talk about NBA midseason awards, Masahiro Tanaka signs with the Yankees, a discussion on the use of the word thug in American culture, Big Ten hoops, Eric asks us questions, and other stuff coming up.
1: One, two,
0: three. Hello and welcome in to the podcast. I'm going to talk like this the entire time. Just kidding. Adam Hawking, Ben Sherman, Carl Pilkington, I think I might be. Yeah, Matt Jacobson called us, what did he call us, Ricky Stephen Merchant and Carl Pilkington? Yeah. I I threw myself on the grenade. I had a as man, the Pilkington as grenade? As the Pilkington. No one wants to be the I'm Pilkington. I'm
2: pretty sure, I think everyone in secretly in their mind is like, it's
3: gotta be me.
0: I've gotta be Pilkington. Everyone feels their inner Pilkington come out. Yeah. And is ashamed of it, but also kind of proud. Um, Eric Lejeune, producer extraordinaire, is with us. What do you want to talk about today? Let's just throw out the intro. Yeah, and let's just talk let's about. Throw it out with a
2: baby like the bathwater, Yeah. that goes. Let's talk
0: about child rearing in the 21st century. No, never mind. Let's talk about NBA midseason awards. Are you ready?
2: Now I am, yes.
0: Okay, I've got a piece on the blog, thedayinsports.com. Oh, I should do that. Yeah. TDIS underscore Humblebreg on Twitter, thedayinsports on Facebook, on iTunes. And we have a new line of coffee tables.
2: Also, the day in sports olive oil. We've begun picking our own olives
0: and squeezing them. Extra virgin. It's named after all of us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, NBA midseason Awards. Okay. Okay. My MVP, we talked about this a little bit last time on the podcast, Kevin Durant. Yeah. Um, pretty easy pick right now. 31 points, 8 rebounds, 5 assists. He's at that 50 40-50-90 uh, threshold. 40% from 3, 50 from the field. Just about 90 from the free throw line. Averaging 37 points per game in January. But let me ask you this, before we debate whether or not he should be the MVP, I think we're in agreement, actually. Yeah, we are. What does a Ben Sherman look for in an MVP? Because, you know, there's the. Is it the best player on the best team? That mm-hmm. would probably be Paul George this year. Yeah. Um, maybe the best statistical year? That could be Kevin Love. Yeah. Um, best story, you know, maybe like Derek Rose a couple years ago. Yeah. People got tired of voting for LeBron. What do you look for in an MVP?
2: I think I look. I, I'm, a, I'm a classical man when it comes to my valuable players. I want them to be the person that contributes the most to the success of their team, if that makes sense. Yeah. No, and I think. And I think Kevin Durant probably does that right now, a guy that... I think a lot of times when you see someone kind of take over a game like that, the rest of their team struggles a little bit, and they don't yeah. always see the kind of success that Oklahoma does.
0: I like Kobe Bryant a lot of times. Yeah. The Lakers. Yeah,
2: but he, Kevin does it in a way that just seems cooler and better than everyone else.
0: Well, he's so efficient. You don't normally see a guy score 31 points a game and, and shoot 50% from the field. Because yeah. generally... That'll be your quote-unquote volume shooter, yeah. and your Kobe Bryant who shoots you know, maybe 45%, Allen Iverson right around there, back in his day. Um, so the, the fact that he's scoring the way he is at the efficiency with which he's doing it is, I, I think he's kind of far and away the MVP. And he does it, it it's not like a one-note
2: kind of a thing. No. He does it, you know, driving to the hoop, he does it. From three-point range, he does it kind of in middle America from the elbows, if you will. Yeah, back to the basket, Yeah. driving. It's, he, he can do everything. Like I, I was watching um, ESPN yesterday, and I think Stephen A. Smith said literally his only weakness is his weight. If he could put on a little mm-hmm. bit more weight, he'd be
0: pretty much unstoppable. And he's so athletic, he's so good in transition, and I mean, you know, he gets listed at 6'10", he's probably closer to 7 feet tall. Yeah, he looks he, it. He's yeah. ludicrous given all the things he can do. I wonder if he put on some weight, would he lose a little athleticism, maybe... As his career goes, and he has to rely more on just his skills rather than his athletic talent, maybe that's when he'll put on 10, 15 pounds and become more of a a post, you know, power forward type player.
2: I And, you know, for right now, it doesn't seem to be hampering him oh. at all. Um He looks like a, a giant, graceful swan out there.
0: Yeah, he is swan-like. Very graceful. The black swan. Ooh. Um... Oh, that wasn't a racial thing. <laughs> <laughs> That's what Kobe called Pau Gasol because he's kind of swan-like, but he needs a little more black swan in him, a yeah. little more nastiness. The uh,
2: as the Greg other Popovich side of, would say, the, "I want some nasty." The
0: other side of the coin, as it
2: were. Yeah,
0: yeah. the The, the white swan is Pau Gasol, just yeah. because he's um, well, not just because he's white, just now because I... <laughs> he's he's not he's not very aggressive. Now I can't stop thinking about Natalie Portman. Yeah, I'm sidetracked too. Let's get back on track. Coach of the year. Yeah. Frank Vogel, Indiana Pacers. That's my pick. Yeah. I think a lot of people would pick maybe Terry Stotts. But yeah, I would go with Vogel. I know Stotts kind of, again, it's a storyline thing. Do you go with the guy from Portland where, you know, maybe people thought they'd be an eight or a nine seed and they're closer to a one seed? But I just think the way Vogel has his team playing, they're 33-8 and uh, after losing last night. But in the NBA, it's so hard to get players to kind of ball out for you to play defense to to bring effort 82 times a season and they're first in every major statistical defensive category they they're not the Miami Heat with a big three Um, their second best player is maybe David West maybe Roy Hibbert maybe Lance Stevenson that's not exactly Dwayne Wade Um, so what do you think Vogel or would you go elsewhere
2: it's I think it's hard to go elsewhere at this point just because that team has, everybody was really impressed with what they did last year in in the postseason last year after playing so well against, um, the Heat in the postseason. But they've kind of turned around and, and really built on what they had and become the best team in basketball, I think, at this point.
0: Yeah. And clearly um, they're, they're going for that number one seed.
2: And it's just like watching them play now, they're, the level of comfortability that they seem to have with each other is disturbing, I'm sure, to every other team in basketball.
0: Yeah. A weird, parallel to me is like it kind of reminds me of the Seattle Seahawks like they they were on the brink last year they might have even been the best team but they just couldn't quite whether it was lack of experience or mm-hmm. circumstance or whatever it was couldn't quite get there and then this year I mean the parallels also both teams are great defensively but they both seem to have that kind of confidence that they're more physical than you they're stronger than you um, and I think the Pacers really believe they're the best team uh, in the league right now and it, I'd be hard-pressed to argue. I'm surprised you have Mike Brown out of the conversation
2: with <laughs> the Cleveland <laughs> yeah. Cavaliers. He's having just a stellar season over there.
0: He did come back and beat the Lakers in LA, which no easy task. The Lakers are like a million games under 500. Yeah. Um, that's a story for another time. Sixth man, kind of out of nowhere, Reggie Jackson, Oklahoma City Thunder, has gotten a little more PT, a little more playing time after Westbrook got out, uh, uh, went out with an injury again. Um. But thirteen points, four rebounds, four assists. He's only twenty-three years old. Um, kind of just came onto the scene out of nowhere. Uh, a lot of people would go with Manu Ginobili or Jamal Crawford, kind of the the standard bearers for the Six Man of the Award, yeah, Six Man of the Year Award. But uh, I'm gonna go with Randy Jackson.
2: What is it about Oklahoma, the system that they run, or the players that they have or have had, that makes them a conducive system? for the sixth man. I mean, they kind of seem to produce guys. James Harden. Yeah, yeah. They, they seem to have guys in that spot. Maybe it's just luck, I guess. They seem, they seem to have guys in that spot that really succeed.
0: Well, they've got, um, you know, I, I think that Oklahoma City is really good at, uh, at developing their talent. They've got Sam Presti as their general manager, um, and he's done a really good job. People kind of crushed him for the James Harden trade, but if you look at it now, um, they've brought Reggie Jackson along. They they drafted Jeremy Lamb and uh, or, or they acquired Jeremy Lamb and drafted uh, Steven Adams, who's actually a, a a solid big man. So they got some good pieces in return for Harden. Um, I, it's kind of um, it's almost like the Eden of the NBA. Yeah, it's, it's a strange little area. the The fans love that team. That's one of the best crowds uh, in the NBA. You wouldn't think that Oklahoma City is a spot where a lot of Players want to be, mm-hmm. and there's speculation that that Durant and Westbrook will bolt for L.A. or Miami or New York when when they're eventually free agents. But uh, and I also think Scott Brooks is is kind of gets underrated because he might not be the best tactical coach. But um, if you look at, I mean, even Russell Westbrook was what the fourth or fifth pick. He wasn't the number one guy in the draft, but he's become a superstar. Durant. Uh, obviously was picked behind Greg Oden. He's maybe the best player in the league as yeah. of right now. So th- I think they've done a really good job of developing their players um and just kind of letting them build to their strengths. And then if you look at Serge Ibaka, that was a guy that was really raw coming in, and now he can hit a three-point shot. He's also the leading shot blocker almost every year. So they've done a great job at cultivating their talent, and I think that's, that's GM and coach.
2: Yeah, I think <clears throat> you're right. They've really set it up as a, An environment for those guys to succeed and and play to their strengths. Um, they seem really motivated too, which is great.
0: Yeah, they, you know, they, they've had an interesting rise. They, the first time they made the playoffs with this kind of core, they, they lost to the Lakers, who eventually went on to win the title that year, and then got back to the playoffs, went straight to the finals, lost to the Heat. Then last year kind of took a step back because they, they didn't have Westbrook for, for a portion of the playoffs. But I think, um, if Westbrook gets back, This team, along with Indiana, would probably be my two favorites. Yeah. That would be a heck of a finals to watch. That would be a lot. It would be up-tempo, a lot of energy, really good crowds. And I just think the Heat, I'm not worried that they're not playing great right now Mm because I think they're probably just bored. Yeah. But I honestly just think they're probably not deep enough. Uh, Dwayne Wade is probably just a step below where he needs to be because they need Wade and and James to carry that team. Yeah. I honestly don't see the Heat coming out of the East, and even if they do, I don't see them winning the title this year.
2: Yeah, I, they'd have to, they have to go through the best team in basketball, and at this point, they are not equipped to do that, I
0: don't think. No, no, and even if they survive the Pacers, then they have to go through, uh, whoever comes out of a a pretty rugged Western Conference.
2: Literally, Um, just like the landscape.
0: Yeah, like the Rockies. Thought they'd be a little rockier than this.
2: John Denver's full of shit.
0: Yeah. Uh, and then just quickly, my most improved players, Eric Bledsoe, up from eight points a game to 18 and a half, six assists, four rebounds. He's helped the Phoenix Suns go uh, to the eighth seed. They're 23 and 17 right now. A lot of projections had them winning 23 games all year. Um, so that's pretty incredible. Michael Carter-Williams is my rookie of the year. There's really not much debate about that for the 76ers. 18 points, seven assists, six rebounds per game. He's kind of a triple-double threat. Um, and just Mr. Do Everything for Philly. And then I put Roy Hibbert as my defensive player of the year. You could point to his two and a half blocks a game, but, but really it's his presence more than his stats. Mm -hmm. Um, that I would say gives him that award. He changes so many shots in the lane. It's the horse sense. Yes. I don't know what that means.
2: It's a, it's a, it's a Murray. It's a horse apiece. Yeah. Masahiro Tanaka, baseball to the Yankees. Catchers and pitchers report. In, I want to say like 28 days or something, 27 days. Sooner than it should be. Yeah. It's the baseball up. never ends. I love it. Um,
0: okay, so a couple of talking points. Yes. Because we talk on the podcast, so we, you need points to talk we, about. We make
2: our voices function for us in a way that no one else does. No one can do this.
0: No. Um, so much for the Yankees' $189 limit that they had, right? Yeah, um, they really pissed that away. They lost Cano, but they add Kelly Johnson, Jacoby Ellsbury, Carlos Beltran, Brian Roberts, Brian McCann, uh, Tanaka. So, you know, now at the top of their rotation, they've got Tanaka, CC, Hiroki Kuroda, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of, you know, maybe Ellsbury, Beltran, and McCann are super superstars, but they're very good offensive players. Yeah. So with these signings, A-Rod kind of out of the mix for the year, Teixeira and Jeter hopefully back healthy, at least from the Yankees' perspective. Are the Yankees the Yankees again in terms of how far they can go?
2: What I think is interesting is they're talking about having Tanaka, he's I mean, you're comparing, I think, a little bit of apples to oranges when you look at his ERA in Japan.
0: Yeah, twenty four and zero record yeah. wise. I'll, I know saber saber will say wins don't matter. Right, twenty four 0 1.27 ERA. I mean, yeah, something, something like in that. there, something One, under two.
2: I mean, yeah. Um, but the, looking at him being the three guy in that rotation behind Kuroda. that's pretty wicked. Um, that's a mean staff.
0: And and what I've heard, although it seems that we hear this story every time somebody comes from Japan that he's the, the – the scouts like him best of any of the recent pitchers that have come over, but they seem to say that every time. Yeah. Uh, remember when we heard Dice K had, like, 37 different pitches that yeah. didn't exactly turn out to be true, but – eight thirty seven different kind of sandwiches, really. <laughs> <laughs>
2: 37 flavors. But um, I, I, I really – I think this will be interesting just for the fact that it will give us a better idea of how baseball talent – in a Japanese major professional Japanese baseball, translates to Major League Baseball. I mean, it's kind of been a hit or miss thing up until this point. You've had some success, some failure, um, a lot of overpayment, I think, for some of those guys. Yeah, and you have to pay the fee even to talk. Yeah, to, to it's the like teams. a ten million dollars just to like start the Say conversation. Hi. Yeah,
0: to pick up the phone. Um, I don't pick up the phone for less than ten million dollars.
2: I think the Yankees, though, they're. they're they have to make the postseason this year, otherwise it'll be deemed a complete failure. Yeah, they um,
0: they kind of went out and did the thing where after they didn't make it a, a few years ago, and then they went out and got Teixeira and Cece and those guys. I mean, they really have been aggressive. Mm-hmm. Um, after some you know some recent off seasons where they kind of laid low a Mo- little bit, mostly relatively. Mostly
2: seems to happen the year after the Red Sox win the World Series. Yeah, yeah, it does seem to. They're like, oh, Boston, huh? So they want I mean, they're spending at this point five hundred million dollars, I think, in the off season.
0: Well, and, and, you know, Tanaka, I like the signing because he, he's only 25 years old. Um, yeah, and, he's really young. And, and the, the Japanese leagues are, are, I mean, pretty comparable. Not the same thing, but, but very competitive baseball. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've heard some concerns that he's got a lot of pitches on his arm. You know, he's, he's been kind of a workhorse. But, a little bit of wear on the tires. Yeah. But I mean, I think with pitchers, that's unavoidable. That's going to happen. And at 25 years old, you know, with those numbers, I think even if his ERA bumps up a point and a half, you've still got, a very good pitcher.
2: Yeah. You look at, and, and I think what the Yankees are expecting is kind of a resurgent year from CC. He didn't have the best yeah. track record last year, but I guess he's lost quite a bit of weight.
0: And maybe they don't have to ride him like the, the Clydesdale that he can be. Yeah. But, I mean... Well, I mean, talk
2: about a guy that has pitches on his arm. Oh, you know, he's he's getting up there, too.
0: Dating back to his season with the Milwaukee Brewers, uh, that, that rental, they, they basically treated him like he was the only pitcher yeah. on the team. Well... He would pitch like every second day in the playoffs, like eight, nine innings. Yeah, and they literally wore him out. And then he still went to the Yankees and performed really well last year. You're right, though, kind of yeah. kind of tailed off a little bit. You know, and
2: we'll see. But I I really look at this as the only way that New York knows how to kind of get back into relevancy as well. Spend, 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 spend.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, to to sort of have some down down years, maybe not spend and develop the farm system is just never an option.
2: Yeah. In New York. Yeah. It's, it's funny that, and I think that they're, they're seeing a little bit of panic out of the Yankees also because the Dodgers are kind of becoming the Yankees West Coast variety. Yeah. With their kind of their spending and the attention that they get and popularity. Television deals. It could definitely be, um, a rival to them as, as far as, uh, revenue goes in, inside
0: of the league. Yeah, I mean, they've got the LA market, which can go blow for blow with New York, and, and maybe
2: people are even stupider there. Yeah, maybe outspend. They'll do anything.
0: I mean, yeah, over the last few years, the Dodgers have spent more money than the Yankees, um, yeah. just a, at kind of an incredible rate. Um, but as a Twins fan, yes, small market. Mm-hmm. Describe for me your hatred of the Yankees and why. Oh, I love this game. Uh,
2: <laughs> I don't. I don't appreciate any any team or management. Team of management, or whatever you want to call it, um, that just attempts to go out there and buy the talent and buy championships. I don't think that's the right way to do it.
0: Not a lot of art to
2: that. No, and, and, you know, you see some guys come out of their farm system, the Derek Jeter's of the world, but that's a, a one in ten billion kind of thing. Yeah. Um, for the most part, they just go out and pay people and steal, steal other people's hard work and try and take advantage of it. Um, I also don't like them because I think they've just absolutely bludgeoned the Twins in the postseason 150 times consecutively. Yeah. Maybe 160.
0: They generally have about 150 million more on the payroll.
2: The, the Twins have a, have a very large demon to slay. It never goes well. Ever. Ever. You know, once every five years, they'll win a series in the Bronx or something and it'll be like winning the World Series all over again. But other than that, it, it almost never happens. And any team that A-Rod is a part of deserves a very vitriolic
0: level of hatred. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, Although he won't be there this year, which is kind of nice. I'm sure, I'm sure the Yankees are happy about that, too. Yeah, well, I heard one player say A-Rod better be careful when he comes back because people are going to be throwing at his head because he sued the Players Union. We're okay. going to gang beat him. <laughs> yeah, so A-Rod, always, always prudent, always yeah. making smart decisions, sued the Players Union.
2: Um. That sounds like a recipe for somebody stuffing batteries in a sock and just
0: beating you senseless. Stuff your sores in a sack, mister. Um, <laughs> if the Twins could spend like the Yankees, yeah. would you want them to? No. Are you sure about like that? Like
2: halfway. I'd like to see a happy median there. Okay. Um, I think they did a better job of identifying some weaknesses and spending money on them this year. Uh, they're still, you know, dealing with, Joe Mauer's ghost and he is yeah. playing on the team at this point. Um, not going to be a catcher anymore.
0: Are they moving him to, to first? Yeah. And Morneau's gone.
2: Morneau's gone. They're putting Joe at first, which he's one of the greatest, for average and consistency, one of the greatest hitters in baseball right now. Um, but he not being the catcher that he was, that was half of the big draw for him. Huge he, value. He would get every ounce of of everything that he could out of these pitchers and really call a great game for them. And now it's just kind of like, ugh.
0: Well, and now, you know, he's not going to give you the power that you would expect from a first baseman. I wonder, though, you know, saving his knees, his legs, if he could have a better year at the plate. I mean, I'm sure that's what they're hoping for. Yeah. In, in term, and also just greater longevity for him. Um, I liked the move to move him to first base. I thought they should have done it two years ago.
2: Yeah. And, I, I mean, the money that he's getting right now to play first base and hit 330 with six home runs or whatever it is it's pretty it's pretty good uh he he got a pretty good home it's like a Tony
0: Gwynn statistical line
2: yeah it's I don't know that they they overspent on on Maurer and Morneau and they've been fighting that off for years they're kind of starting to be able to get some money out there in the free agent market now and they got some pitchers in the offseason so we'll see what happens
0: yeah I mean that's that's to me is the main problem with the discrepancy in payrolls is um, not that you shouldn't be able to compensate a guy uh, like a Sabathia or a Morneau or a Mauer, but if you make a mistake like the Yankees did with A Rod, mm-hmm. if the Twins made that mistake, they wouldn't sign anybody for 15 years. The, the club would they couldn't. be bankrupt. Yeah, it would, the, 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 the the Yankees, oh, you know, we only have to pay him 22 of his 28 million this year because he's suspended. Yeah. And so that means we can go sign 18 other guys. Wow. Um, so. Just kind of, you know, that that discrepancy is, I, I, as a Brewers fan myself, it's a little yeah. bit mad.
2: Well, I mean, it's been talked about for years and years and years, but baseball needs to do something about the kind of disparity between spending of clubs.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you. Okay. Agreed. Agreed. Social debate time. We're not serious very often on the podcast. No. Only I,
2: when we talk about oblivion. Yeah, that got
0: heated. Um, So, yeah, we're not very serious... Often on the podcast, we like to keep it lighthearted, entertaining, mm-hmm. funny. That's basically our goal is if you're at home or at work and your day sucks, hopefully this makes it a little bit better. But I did want to talk uh, a little bit about this story that's been floating around social media and uh, actually kind of amped up with the Richard Sherman stuff. Um, the idea that the word thug is kind of the new N-word, like it's... it's uh, a bit of coded language yeah. used by the mainstream media and white people yeah. um, to be able to say that word without saying that word. Um, and I, I think Richard Sherman is the prime case. I saw a lot of Twitter reaction calling him a thug or much worse. Um, and the day after the Seahawks win, I thought this was interesting, the word thug was un- uttered 625 times in American television, more than any single day in at least three years, Um. To which Sherman said, you know, there was a hockey game where they didn't even play hockey. They just threw the puck aside and started fighting. I saw that and said, man, I'm the thug. What's going on here? Um, what's your take on that word? And do you think it's a bit of coded language? Do you think it's oversensitivity? Um, what's your look? I do think it's coded language, totally. Yeah. Um,
2: it, it allows people, you know, that don't want to come off as racist to refer to a an african-american man most often yeah um, as you know kind of give it this um, this image of, of a, a guy that you know probably came from a, a bad neighborhood or, yeah. or something like that and really has some questionable values and, and tries to pro- project a certain image um, without saying
0: those things I think it almost allows I agree with you the, the white person, or whoever's saying it to kind of claim the moral high ground even though they're kind of being morally yeah. despicable because yeah. they're saying you're a thug and here's the things that we don't like about what you're doing you're right. like in richard sherman's case you talk too much yeah. you aren't a very good sport and you know it's all these values that that whoever calls the person the thug yeah. is 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 doing much more wrong than what richard Trying sherman is, is doing is doing it to to demean that person and, in and some elevate way. themselves yeah. And, and so I think that's, that's kind of the epitome of racism is, is kind of uh, subverting one group to the other without really having to say it. It's, it seems to be that um,
2: in professional sports, a lot of maybe mainstream media, if, if they see a successful African-American athlete, want that person to be about as politically correct as humanly possible. They, they don't want, want Russell Wilson. They don't want opinions. They don't, you know, that you know what I mean, they don't want they don't want to see them spending their money in in ways that is not condoned by financial advisors or stuff like that. You know right. what I mean? It's it's they want them to fit into this prototypical upper class kind of rich person white person box. And yeah. if they don't, it, it's it's a very easy thing to do to point the finger and say, "Well, he's just being a thug."
0: Yeah, and they not so secretly kind of make that box the standard without yeah. saying This is the white standard, even though it really pretty much is. Um, And I just think we've kind of buried race as a topic in this country.
2: Um, I think people, I think, are trying to say, well, you know, we've we've gotten over it. It's over.
0: Yeah, it's over. Or you can't talk about that. Yeah. Um, And I think white people are scared to talk about it. They generally get slammed when they do. Yeah. Um, And and the racism we see today, it's not overt like it was in the fifties and sixties with segregated bathrooms and drinking fountains and riots about integrating schools but it's still just as much if not more of a problem because the fact that it's buried under kind of social nuance makes it harder to to get at to talk about and and to change it really reminds me of something um that
2: an african-american friend of mine in high school talked to me about um having kind of grown up in the south and then moved to the great white north no pun intended um (laughs) but it was There are a lot of, or at least from his perspective, there was much more open, kind of in-your-face racism in the South um, that was pretty direct. Yeah. And that's not so much the case in the North is what this friend of mine told me. But what he said, he's like, at at least I can appreciate the South because at least they're being forthcoming with me and honest right. about where I stand with them, and, and it's, you know, you know where you stand. It doesn't
0: make it right, but at least it makes yeah. it clear. Well, this
2: person is clearly racist, and yeah. you can just kind of move on from that. Yeah. In the North, or in, in kind of in this politically correct um, country that we live in, or, or at least parts of the country, um, the hard part, I think, for him was that people could be just as racist as they were in the South, but you wouldn't know because they'll smile in your face. And say the things that they're supposed to say, but behind your back, say things like, "Oh, he's you know behaving like a thug," or yeah. or those kinds of things that would indicate that they have the same racial prejudices as people maybe in other parts of the country do. They just don't say them in the same way, and you know, because it's not okay to say that out loud.
0: And I think especially coming from where we come from, the Midwest, where everyone tries to be at least outwardly as nice as they possibly can be. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like my brother, um, adopted from Korea, grew up at we, we grew up, you know, our next door neighbors were black, they were one of the only black families in, in Marshfield, Wisconsin, a town of about eighteen thousand people. My brother was one of the few Asian people in town, um, like I said, from Korea. And when I would ask him about it or what it's like, because everyone else in Marshfield is white, you know, he would say it's it's not overt, it's but I get stared at. Yeah. I get looked at. People see you naturally, people don't like differences. And when they see them that overtly, in terms of skin color it makes people do funny things um and i just think you know whether it's the south where it's more overt uh in some places um or it's the the midwest or the east coast where it's swept under the rug it's kind of still an equal problem yeah um i do think you know when you see a white person called a thug it's generally uh like a criminal like yeah. like uh tony soprano is a thug yeah you know it's not Whereas, whereas I think black people can have dreadlocks and you call and, and they get called a thug just right. for the way they look. Right. Um, Jeff Galuli was a thug. Jeff Galuli <laughs> I,
2: I love it. I, I actually watched the Price of Gold. But yeah, that
0: was good. It was great. Galuli was a thug. Galuli and his thugs were thugs. Yeah, but but you know, it, it seems to me that that word only gets used in reference to like organized crime for white people. Whereas yeah. it's almost a catch-all for black people. The definition of thug. Is one, a cutthroat, a ruffian, or a hoodlum mm-hmm. uh, also can be a band of professional assassins. Ooh. So uh, that's, that's the origin of the word. And I, I think you see from there that the word gets perverted into all kinds of, of other uses. Yeah. Um, and then I just wanted to touch on this story I, I read about recently, Jonathan Farrell. Uh, a black guy, who a lot of his family were cops. Um, he was in the news because he got in a car crash. Um, and was going from door to door knocking for help. Somebody called the cops, and as he approached the cops, the cops told him, stop moving, and he kept moving. Uh, His family speculates because he may have had a concussion and was just looking for help. He was shot to death by those cops, shot 10 times by one guy. Um, It looks like... Unarmed. Yeah, unarmed. The officer uh, was not indicted, and it's actually similar. We're going to talk more about movies in, in a future podcast, but it's similar to a movie I just saw, Fruitvale Station, um where it's it's a very similar story a a guy gets a young black man gets in a fight uh on a on a train uh in the bay area oakland san francisco i think gets pulled off the train and basically trying to stand up for himself gets shot and, and killed and i think it's that that kind of very exterior base level fear that white people have and and mainstream has for for black people yeah that that leads to incidents like this and if we don't talk about it i just don't think it'll ever get any better
2: i recommend that every person especially your average white middle american person go somewhere in the world where you're the minority for as long as you can afford to be there um uncomfortable. comfortable it's a, it is at first but it's a very worthwhile experience um and it really i think Gives you some empathy for what minorities in this country go through, as being the person that's different, yeah, um, and being the person that's uh, kind of stared at and talked about, and not necessarily always in a negative way, but but you don't just, want to be the, just the, the topic attention about other that you people's... receive for being a horse of a different color,
0: yeah. You know, I mean, growing growing up where I grew up, Wisconsin, now Minnesota, uh, I mean, pretty pretty white states, and and the really the the one exposure I had to being, like you said, the minority. I, I took a, a hip-hop class in college um, by a really, really good professor. Um, who was that? I, I can't remember his name. He wrote an intro to one of Talib Qualley's books. He was, he was very well-known. Um, and I would say 75 to 80% of the class was black, and it was a discussion-based class. So it was it was kind of difficult. You know, that was the first time that I had been in that role, yeah. which is kind of sad to say, but it's true. And it was difficult to get up the courage to say things. You were much more aware of what you looked like and who you were. You had to be kind of your own support system. Because you
2: don't want to be that guy that's trying too hard or doing the wrong thing or saying the wrong
0: thing. Right. And it just makes you much more Mm self-conscious. It gives you kind of a window into what, I mean, that's, uh, I I guess that's the definition of white privilege, but it gives you a window into what minorities, not just black people, but, but what all minorities in this country go through every day. Yeah. And
2: being, I, I like that a lot. I, I the high school I went to was, I, I went to a fairly urban high school. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I actually thought I was better equipped for the real world for it just having met a kind of a wider variety of people. But it's still, it's not, you know, I didn't go to like an an inner city
0: like a more diverse
2: school. a more like it's it was relatively diverse. I I would say, you know, maybe like about sixty to seventy percent white kids and then the rest made up of, you know, any any number of different
0: backgrounds. Yeah. Um whereas most of Minnesota's probably about ninety eight percent white. Yeah, yeah.
2: Outside of the you know, the the metro area you are gonna see pretty much all Caucasian students at these schools. Yeah. But I, I thought I was better for it. Um I got to make a lot of different kinds of friends and meet people from different backgrounds of mine and kind of appreciate the differences between the way I grew up and the way that other people grew up, um, so I don't know. That was probably one of the more valuable experiences of my life.
0: Yeah, and I think you know, for myself, growing up, as I mentioned, next to one of the only black families in my hometown. I mean, the you know the the patriarch, the dad of that family, was a was a heart surgeon. Um, so I got a very different than the stereotypical look. Um, so I almost. You know, had to learn racial prejudice as this other thing because I was really only exposed to personally a few black families that were very affluent, very, um, you know, well read and, and travelers of the world and things like that. Um, so I think it's just proof that, that it's almost a learned thing. Yeah. That it just gets kind of ingrained in our culture. And if we don't kind of flesh it out and talk about it, it, it only, it festers. It seems like there is some kind of, where it comes
2: from, I'm not sure. But there's some kind of deep seated dislike, like I said, for, um, successful black people in this country that don't kind of fall in line with the way every other rich person is supposed to act. Yeah. Which in most cases is, you know, your stuffy Caucasian
0: group of people. Yeah, and I think that's why, you know, Russell Wilson, for example, he and Richard Sherman are kind of polar opposites. Polar opposites in a perfect example because, um, you know, when you hear people talk about russell wilson it's poise maturity intelligence yeah. and that's because he speaks in solely clichés yeah. richard sherman is solely clichés is is you know uh, a stanford educated person mm-hmm. uh, a articulate guy uh, he dropped the word perspicacious which was awesome i
2: saw that he he was he really was saving that one yeah. he had it in his pocket he's like i got i got to pull
0: this one out but on the other hand you know he's verbose he's outspoken mm-hmm. he's he's cocky he's brash and uh, I, I think that makes people uncomfortable, and I think that the the resulting he's a thug, Russell Wilson's a leader, I think that that is kind of uh, a case in point of what we're talking about. And
2: I, to be honest with you, I don't
0: think of Richard Sherman
2: as a thug in any way, shape, form, or fashion. No. I mean, if in any true sense of the word, there are certainly people, black, white, or other, in... Football that are more thuggish than he is by a
0: landslide. I think Richie Incognito. Yeah, Richie Incognito being at the top of that list would be a villain, <laughs> a goon. Yeah. Um, thought that was good. I felt good about that conversation. Yeah. Felt like we we exercised some frustration that that I may have. I didn't call anyone
2: honky or cracker. No, I'm and gonna I'm gonna stop you right there. I I really I had to I really had to restrain myself. Okay. You well, know my prejudice towards white people. Yeah, you're against yeah. I don't like it. I don't like successful Caucasians anywhere around me.
0: Let us do this take a break. Yeah. Eric will play us lovely music to kind of break down our serious conversation, ease you back in, and then we're going to come back. Eric has some questions for us, and we're going to talk to Big Ten. Oops. I'm in.
3: Je pense à cette belle merbe c'est sans mot et moi compliqué on nous appelle why did you say what do you say
0: what do you say what do you say welcome back to the podcast adam hawking ben sherman back to sports. We moved we've moved past I thought we did pretty well. Yeah, for our first series discussion ever.
2: Yeah, I think I think
0: it I think it went well.
2: You know, as, as long as people are honest about how they feel about things, you know.
0: That's the thing. Is everyone Okay, I don't want to get back yeah. to the whole thing, <laughs> yes. but I but I do want to say everyone has their racial prejudices yeah. and uh, just because of how they grew up and um, I just think that being honest about it, like you said, is is the best way to to promote progress, rather than just pretending that you're, as Michael Scott would say, colorblind.
2: Yeah, if uh, if Dave Chappelle has taught us anything, it's that jokes about racism are funny. That's
0: true. We're not gonna have any though. No. Um, because we're not funny. Big Ten hoops. You wanna talk about Big Ten hoops? I do. Okay, here it, it's it's a really good year in the Big Ten. It's interesting. Um, deep, oh, huh. it's very deep. Very deep. Michigan State's ranked third right now. Wisconsin ninth, although they they'll probably drop after losing to Minnesota. Iowa is tenth. Um, Ohio State seventeenth. Michigan twenty first, and the Gophers, uh, Minnesota Golden Gophers, fifteen and five, have beaten the Badgers, have beaten Ohio State, probably are on the cusp of being in the top twenty five. Almost beat Michigan State. In, uh, in East Lansing. Yeah, so I guess my question is, we've seen in recent years the Big Ten beat deep. Um, a lot of good teams, but maybe not any great teams. And, you know, a lot of times the Dukes of the world, the the ACC teams, um, or, or a Kentucky, you know, maybe not in the deepest league, but they're the most talented team, come out and, and will win the national title. Do you see a title contender in the Big Ten? I don't, I don't know right now. I mean,
2: Michigan State, I guess, would have to be my... Yeah. my inkling at this point because even when they have a bad game i think they recover well and have enough poise to usually come out on top but that said i think any number of big 10 teams could end up being a great cinderella story coming through the tournament i'm you know facing that stiff of competition this early in the year can do nothing but help those teams i think
0: i agree with you you know you'll be hardened by the big 10 the only thing i I worry about in big 10 play is that it's kind of a brutal, stylistic type game. It's mm-hmm. a slower, you know, I think the Badgers kind of personify what it takes to be successful in the Big Ten because they don't have a ton of talent. Yeah, It's defense, it's rebounding, it's playing the percentages. And I just worry about a team coming out of the Big Ten and playing an up-tempo yeah. Kentucky team, Duke team, whatever it might be. Um, but I do think Michigan State could could do it this year. Um, they've got the inside game. They've got uh, Adrian Payne. Uh, if he can stay healthy for yeah, yeah, but he is just a monster. Yeah. 6'10", 250, 16 points, 8 boards a game. Gary Harris, Keith Appling. Um, I like Keith Appling a lot. Really, I mean, really, a really good talented. player. 16 points a game, 5 assists. So they, I think they've got, you need 3 or 4 kind of go-to scorers, I think, in the tournament. Mm-hmm. That's always been my theory because somebody's going to have an off night somewhere in that 6 straight games that you need to win the whole thing. I think Michigan State might be the only team that can make it all the way through. Mm-hmm. I don't think Wisconsin quite has the talent, and they're starting to slide a little bit just recently. Um, honestly, I haven't seen Iowa enough, but... They, they they are much better than I thought they were. Oh, uh, sure, well, surely. I mean, they're 10th in the country now. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're a good a good team. I think Michigan, you know, they don't have Trey Burke. They don't have Tim Hardaway. They, they, they rely a little bit too much on Glenn Robinson, and yeah. I don't think he's quite fit to be a superstar in college hoops. hmm and then I think Ohio State doesn't quite have the horses that they've had in recent years. I really like their point guard. I'm blanking on his name right now. Aaron Kraft. Yeah. Uh, really good defender, playmaker. But um, I guess I would say Michigan State's the only, only team I can see.
2: I, you mentioned kind of um, that classic Big Ten style, the really bruising, plodding kind of yeah. approach. Yeah. And it was, it was really fun to watch that because Wisconsin, like you said, really exemplifies that. It was really fun to watch that collide last night with the new kind of or newer style of play that that Richard Pitino brings to Minnesota. Yeah, uh, tell me a little bit about Minnesota kind of up tempo. It's the forty minutes of hell. Uh, yeah. They they you know full court press. They run 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 run. That's all they do.
0: What was that? Nolan Richardson in Arkansas was that the or- I think so original forty minutes of hell. It might have been. Yeah, but it's I mean it's see, it gives. Some
2: very good Big Ten teams fits obviously. Um, pushing the ball very quickly up court and and pressing you know deep in the back court isn't what I think a lot of these Big Ten teams, the classic Big Ten teams, your Ohio States, your Wisconsins, are used to. And uh, they've really got to adjust if they're
0: going to have any kind of success outside of um, their own conference. And I think you know I think what Patino did is kind of genius because it would be very you know, you're you're Rick Patino's kid. Yeah. So the pressure's already there. You're coming into a Big Ten conference where, like, like we've said, it's this is the style of yeah. play and be, historic too. Yeah. And it would be very tempting to say, okay, we need bigs that can bang. We need, you know, we need a smart point guard that slows it down. We need yeah. to run an offense. But what he did is almost like um, what Mike D'Antoni kind of revolutionized with the Phoenix Suns. He said, we're going to go the opposite way. Mm-hmm. Um, less focus on the big man. We're going to you know, I guess D'Antoni was a horrible defensive coach, but offensively, um, <laughs> spread it out, let let people take shots when they're open, build yeah. every player's confidence. And there's not the hesitation with the Gophers, I think, that you saw under Tubby.
2: Yeah, especially to the shoot. They're, they were a terrible perimeter shooting team last season and the season before. And with a, a mix of some of the same players, um, you see them kind of being one of the better three-point shooting teams in the conference which is weird. Um, and another thing that I thought was, was kind of different, you mentioned the, the value that they put on big men in the Big Ten. Um, Richard Pitino running his two big guys in Mo Walker and, and Elliot Eliason, both of whom lost like 30, 40 pounds in the yeah. offseason because the guy just runs them. And they're still effective in the post, especially Mo Walker. He had a great game last night.
0: Well, and you look at you know what Minnesota has done for for a first-year coach with – you know, it's it's not it's like got you, a pedigree. Yeah, but it, or, or I would say a first year coach with Minnesota. Yeah, obviously he'd been a coach before, but um, you just kind of look at you, you would expect some growing pains, and it's not like the cupboards were stocked with talent no. in Minnesota. not not an untalented a few, a team. Few pieces in place, but not not like you're coming into Ohio State or Michigan State. Um, you know their their first loss was to Syracuse narrowly. Uh, they lost to Arkansas. They lost to. A good Michigan team by yeah. three points. They lost to Michigan State at Michigan State in overtime. Yeah. Uh, and they lost at Iowa. But otherwise, you know, they, they've beaten the Badgers. They, they, they've they had some really nice victories. Arkansas
2: is really their only bad loss, I think. Yeah, I
0: mean, if you, that's that's kind of the, the parlance that we get into around tournament time is do you have any bad losses? Yeah. And they also have good wins. They've beat Ohio State and they've beat Wisconsin. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the rest of... The Big Ten schedule, they're, they're going to be at Michigan, at Ohio State, and at Wisconsin. Those will be uh, a real test. They get Iowa, uh, at home. But yeah, I think this team maybe they might even be a year ahead of where they should be. Yeah. Um, but they have a very good chance to make the tournament and to, to crack the top 25 here. He's, uh,
2: Patino, the younger Patino is, uh, one of the more intense personalities I think I've ever seen. Yeah. Kind of prowling the, the sideline there.
0: Uh, he seems dedicated to a culture change in 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 not only style but the way he conducts the whole program.
2: For a a fairly diminutive young man, he's he's a small guy. The way he screams at, at these big basketball players is it'll put the fear of God in you, I would imagine. He yeah. does not he does not look like someone
0: I would want to meddle with. That's why I can never be a, any well besides my lack of athleticism. Why I can never be a high level athlete. I don't do well with people screaming. I would totally go into a cage. What I
2: really appreciate amongst coaches is, is, like, you see these guys, and they just look like the biggest a-holes in the world screaming <laughs> at people. And then you talk to the players, everyone's like, oh, yeah, we love Coach. Coach yeah. is great. Yeah. He's, you know, he's, a, he's really done wonders for us and all this stuff. It's like...
0: It's a very fine line to walk.
2: Yeah, and if you can do it, it that's what the very best coaches, I think, do. A, like your Bill Belichick's and your uh your Rick Patino's, uh kind of, you're afraid of them, but... You really appreciate everything that they do, and you had a lot of respect for them. That'll wrap up Big Ten Hoop Talk. Wrap it up. Do you have more? No. I mean, what one thing I, w- I want to ask you, I guess, would be if you had to pick two of the kind of top five Big Ten teams right now that you think are going to underachieve for the rest of the, the season, who would they be?
0: Um, again, I haven't seen Iowa enough. Um, you know, I've only seen them a couple of times. I don't know that they're the 10th best team in the country right now. I think Ohio State is going to underachieve because uh, they don't have the talent they've had in years past, and they rely a lot on Aaron Kraft to be kind of their whole playmaker, and he's not—he's a good passer and, and he can get in the lane, but he's not an offensive scoring force. Yeah. Um, so I would guess I would say Ohio State. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see Wisconsin slide a little bit, and I—I I, I guess I would say Michigan. Uh, three of those, two of those three—Wisconsin, Ohio State, and Michigan—I think could be due for a slide.
2: I was I was really surprised um, Wisconsin got off to probably their best start, I think, in, in school history or the equivalent thereof.
0: Yeah, they're more talented than they have been in years past. Uh, they they always rely on their home court advantage, mm-hmm. which, uh, I, I mean, it's a great thing to have. The Kohl Center. Yeah, I mean, something like 220 at home under Bo Ryan, something mm-hmm. ridiculous like that. But they, they do struggle when they go on the road, and... Um, they do rely a lot on the three-point shot, which you, It's a fickle mistress. The yeah, three-point shot. It is. So you never know when she's gonna she's gonna abandon you. When she's gonna
2: tickle you with a feather or slap you with a paddle?
0: Slap you right in the gill hole.
2: Right, slap the slippery fish right is in the gill. Is hole. it tough for Wisconsin to travel? Do you think, um, lugging Bo Ryan's uh, coffin around that he has to sleep in?
0: <laughs> From what I've understood. <laughs> It's an aerodynamic coffin that yeah. slides right into the back of a plane, and you know, or a bus. <laughs> or a hearse. Yeah. Sometimes he, he recuperates in there during halftime. Yeah. Um, Sprinkle some salt over him. Yeah. Give him a good rub down.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Give him give him the mummy treatment. A little smelling salt. He looks terrible. But he can coach. He can. But I'm pretty sure his appendages are going to just
0: start falling off mid-game. Something's going to start falling off on the man. Mm-hmm. Uh, Eric, do you have questions for us? I do. Are you ready? Yep. Is this going to be... Are we both answering or is it... Yeah. Okay. Okay. We are both answering. Oh, my God. Gird your loins. At the same time? (laughs) Gird your loins. Steal your resolve. I'm nervous.
1: Well, the first thing I want to address is the pickdown. Playoff edition. Oh, God. In addition to winning the regular season, Ben is our playoff pickdown champion. Woo!
3: I didn't even realize that.
1: Up two with one game to play. Last round, Ben went one on one, and is six and four. I also went one and one, and am four and six. And went zero oh and two, and is four and six.
0: Ooh, I really caved in the playoffs. They don't. The postseason wasn't friendly to you. No, I rode the 49ers pretty hard. Yeah. Uh, that was good for two rounds, not for three rounds. <laughs> unfortunately, uh, I don't know why I picked New England. You see, here's—I was thinking about this last night with my picks. Yeah. I, I always get a philosophy that I like, and then if I get one result that counteracts it, I just abandon ship. Like, I was, I was very much into, when the playoffs started, pick the best team, mm-hmm. um, which would have meant I should pick Denver over the Patriots, and maybe should have picked Seattle over San Francisco, but I'm fine with that pick. That ended up being a close game. But to pick New England, I don't know why I did it. I got Tom Brady's juju in my brain, mm-hmm. um, and I think you just got to go with what you've seen all season more than... The hot team Mm -hmm. or the team that's established themselves. It's all about guts. I just try and envision what your gut says
2: and go with that. What is my gut saying to my brain? Yeah. What's my brain gut saying to my head brain? Um, I, I think I just try and envision what What would happen. Who's going to win? Really just see it in your mind's eye, in your
0: whispering eye. Yeah. Well, it was disappointing for me. Yeah. Um, 6 and 4 pretty good. Not not even Ben Sherman's regular season clip of excellence. No. But but it's up above water. Yeah. 16%, and, you know, playoffs are tougher.
2: Yeah. Well, there's there's less volume. You can't really uh you yeah. don't really get those like uh Denver versus Houston games yeah. or
0: Denver versus Jacksonville games anymore in the playoffs. All the teams are good. Yeah, you don't get the Titans. Yeah. You don't get the Jags to pick against the Vikings. The Vikings to pick against, yeah. which can be fun. Yeah. It can be fun. Um It's just, you know,
2: i just like to say how rewarding it is, you know. To be the best. Yeah, and I'd like to thank everyone that helped me get here. Eric and Adam. Yeah. Na- you. Namely you two. Yeah. our incompetent. Directly led to your elevation. We can't underscore or understate the role that Omar played. Omar the dog. Pretty heavy role. Um,
0: Eric questions.
1: You're building an NFL franchise. Yes. Who is your first quarterback, left tackle, pass rusher, corner?
0: Okay, hold on. Let me type stuff. Quarterback, left tackle. Left tackle. Pass rusher. Pass. Rush. Corner. Corner. Mm -hmm. Mm Okay. Okay. Um, It's tough. Quarterback, so we're building from scratch. We want to be successful for a long time, right? Um, Aaron Rodgers is my quarterback. Okay. Pass rusher is either going to be Alden Smith or Robert Quinn. Mm -hmm. Um, I think Alden Smith, in his rookie season, um, was mostly just a pass rusher, and he, I think, statistically got more pressures per snap than anyone in NFL history. Mm Mm-hmm. 13 sacks, 19 and a half sacks in his first two seasons, and he would have been on that similar pace, except he uh, went into drug rehab for half the year this year. That might scare you off a little bit. Mm -hmm. But he's a hell of a pass rusher. Uh, I I guess I would think him and Robert Quinn are probably the two best pass rushers in the league. Um, My cornerback would be Richard Ben Sherman, Mm -hmm. for sure. Uh, He's a great press corner. He's got the speed. He's 6'3 and 200-plus pounds. Left tackle. I guess I would go with Joe Thomas. Mm-hmm. I think that he's got the size to maul you off the uh, on the point of attack. He has really good feet. He's quick. and uh, pass protection, I would either go with Joe Thomas or Joe Staley. Interesting. Pick one. Joe Staley, because he's actually better at, at, at run blocking than Thomas is.
2: You think so? Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. I am going a different route, just to make it fun. And just remind me once again, a quarterback, pass rusher, left tackle, and a defensive back? Cornerback. Okay.
1: Cornerback. Specifically.
2: I am going to go a little uh, black sheep here Mm -hmm. with my quarterback. Uh, I'm just thinking really more for the future than anything else. I'm going to take Nick Foles. Ooh! That's bizarre. I like the efficiency. You're a Foles guy. Efficiency breeds winning. And breeding is by far the best. Yeah. So...
1: That's so Nick Foles.
2: Nick Foles. Airtight case. Pass rusher, Robert Mathis. Okay. Uh, An older guy. He had a resurgence, though. And I, I feel like there's like a, a usually a, a two- or three-year window, maybe four years, um, kind of as the twilight begins of these pass rushers' careers, where they, you really see them kind of reach their maximum potential. Yeah. They may not be as physically gifted as they were at the beginning, but they know so much more. Um, about leverage and, and kind of the way guys play and what moves to put on a certain guy. I think he had a great year and I still think he's one of the, the best in the game. Yeah. Well, he had
0: 19 and a half sacks or something this yeah. year. Something ridiculous. Yeah.
2: Sack lunch. Uh, I would go with, uh, Thomas for my left tackle. Mr. Thomas. Mr. Joe T, Mr. Joe T. Um, is he Wisconsin guy? Wisconsin boy. He Wisconsin is. Wisconsin boy.
0: Uh, he went I, fishing on draft day. They mm-hmm. they they showed him. He was like the number what two pick out on a lake. He just waved. Like yeah, he was just sitting there with a trout. Yeah, hey, Love thanks. It. Uh, I like him
2: also. He seems like he's got a little bit of a mean streak in him. Oh yeah, he can be nasty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. just a little bit of a little bit of snot coming out there. Yeah, whatever that means. <laughs> and for my cornerback, I would pick uh, Akeem Tule. Okay, kind of a Richard Sherman
0: yeah clone. Big little,
2: physical. I think he's a little bit younger, right? I think they're right around the same age, twenty five, twenty six. I don't, yeah. Well, one talks less. Yeah, that's true. Thug. <laughs> just kidding. We. I just don't like the strike that from the. Record. I just don't like the attention that that brings to the organization. Um, I don't. I never think it's good to have like one person getting a ton of
0: attention. I will say, I think, I think that the way Richard Sherman talks, he he says it sharpens his knife, and I think it does. It keeps him focused. He feels like I can't let down because I'm going to look like a dumbass. Yeah. If I do. Um So I think it keeps him focused, and I think he's the best corner in the league, even though, you know, he is the best player on my arch-nemesis team. I like his hair. I do like his hair. He's it's got great nice. hair. Yeah. So there. Eric, let me just ask you one yes or no question. Okay. If you had Aaron Rodgers, Joe Staley, Alden Smith, and Richard Sherman all on one team, mm-hmm. would you be a shoe in the Super Bowl?
1: Well, I, you, you can't be a shoe in with just four players, but... Aaron Rodgers. You'd be pretty close.
0: Pretty close. Okay, that's all I wanted. You said shoe in I just, well, he said no, but all I wanted was an answer. You know, What else you got, Eric?
1: If you could make one rule change in any sport, either add a rule or change an existing rule, what would you do?
0: I, this is, I'm glad you asked this. I would get rid of defensive three seconds in the NBA. It doesn't exist at any other level of basketball. Um, it was essentially invented because of Shaquille O'Neal. Mm-hmm. Being seven foot one and three hundred and fifty pounds and just anchoring himself in the lane. Mm-hmm. I never am a fan of when you make a rule change based on one player in one generation. I think it's short sighted. I also think the the NBA now allows you to play a zone and like let's say in a two three zone mm-hmm. you would generally anchor your, your center, your shot blocker, your rim protector right in the paint. And when he has to constantly be jumping in and out of the paint to avoid three seconds it ruins the integrity of the zone, um, and it's it just seems kind of self-defeating. So I would get rid of defensive three seconds.
2: Interesting. This is a very interesting question, as I buy myself some time. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs>
0: you, um, you want me to keep going on the I, merits of defensive three seconds?
2: I think, and I guess this is more kind of a general opinion, um, I think the NFL has to do something about the kind of Inequity between some of their referees and the way they call pass interference. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's open so much to interpretation and there's so much wiggle room for them to interpret those rules that I think you see, you know, egregious calls that go uncalled. Yeah, or no calls, and you know you see other really really crappy pass interference calls that impact the outcome of games. Um, so I would say there there should be some set standard involved there. And maybe make that something that would be reviewable. Yeah, so you get it right, or every or time. a coach
0: could perhaps challenge it. Yeah. Um. I mean, you look last year at the Super Bowl. I think that the hardest thing was, you know, that play to Crabtree in the end zone. Mm-hmm. Um. And Jimmy Smith was was holding onto his shirt, but we don't. Kn- the hardest thing about that play is we don't know what the call should have been. And right. I almost think the refs don't. It's almost like in basketball, the is it a block or is it a charge? Yeah. It's such a judgment call, and I don't think it's very clear. No. I mean, you could either call Richard Sherman. The best cornerback in the league or the guy that cheats the rules the best yeah Um, because he's constantly grabbing and that's his game Mm -hmm. and because he's built a persona maybe he gets away with it a little bit more than than other guys might so i I agree with you i would also say in the nfl there has to be a little bit more equity between uh or equality between the, the the defensive players and them doing their jobs which is like let's say a safety if a, if a receiver catches the ball and they're the defenseless receiver, I mean, are you supposed to let them catch it, look around, tie their shoes, and then take off? Yeah. I mean, how are you supposed to do your job and then measure in fractions of a second where should I hit him? And it's all your responsibility. Should yeah. I not hit him because is this play a completion and let him run and tackle him? Right. Is that worse than a 15-yard penalty, or should I take the 15-yard penalty, yeah. or will I get penalized? That's way too many will things. Will like I get he... fined? Yeah, it, it's way too many things to be thinking about in a split
2: second. And, you know, on top of that, that could all be negated if the offensive player makes some minute movement at the last second. Lowers the target. Yeah,
0: I mean, you're screwed either way. I also think there should be some sort of rule where the 49ers win the Super Bowl most almost every year. Every other? At least every other. Okay. Which they should. Well, that, that I think that was in place at one point, but they revoked it. We're all in agreement that the 49ers are the best team in the world. So, Next question.
1: what do you think of baseball's new instant replay system
0: um i think it's a good step forward Uh, is it a challenge now don't don't the managers get one sort of challenge before the sixth inning or by the sixth inning
1: managers will be allowed to challenge one play per game with a second challenge if the first is successful and umpires will be allowed to review close plays after the seventh inning if challenges are exhausted
0: i don't understand really especially with baseball why we have to limit it so much. Mm-hmm. I, I think, like, if it's a bang-bang play at first base, and you have to decide, let's say it's the first inning, and you think, okay, do I do I challenge this, or do I wait till what if something bigger happens in the fourth or fifth inning? But I think it's not like the NFL where you have to see who was on the bottom of this pile, who recovered it, was his knee down when this happened. I think there's less clutter on a baseball field, and it's pretty easy to say he was out or he was safe, and I think if there was a questionable call, the umpire should just say, look at it upstairs, please. Yeah. And I I just think they should take it out of the manager's hands and just put it on the umpires to say, I think it was out, but I'd like to get verification. I'd like to get it right. And yeah. it wouldn't take very long
2: to do that. I totally agree. That was the one thing I was going to say is I don't like all the onus that's put on the coaches. Mm-hmm. It's like the officiating crew or the umping crew basically like, well... We do make a lot of mistakes, but now it's on <laughs> you to try and catch, catch You'll get on.
0: one yeah. chance at you, one of our mistakes. You may be able to correct one mistake a game if you don't blow it. I mean, looking at baseball and how... I mean, baseball is kind of... It's like the old man yelling at people to get off his lawn yeah. of, of professional sports. Mm-hmm. It's been behind every other sport, in my opinion, in terms of marketing and promoting the game and rule changes and everything like that. So it's a step. I mean, it's, it's sort of like the college bowl. Now we get four teams. Yeah. It's good, but it's not what it should be. It's not ideal, but it's a step closer. It's a step, and I don't know why in society we have to do this, but it's like we know what we should be doing. Here's the end goal. We should be able to replay everything and get the call right. Instead, what we're going to do is a half measure and see how many people we can get off our back with this replay system. Yeah, I agree. Next question.
1: What are your thoughts on Cristiano Ronaldo winning the Ballon d'Or?
0: Dan Crump question. Yep, from Facebook. Cristiano Ronaldo, mm-hmm. you're going to tax my soccer knowledge, which is pretty, pretty, pretty deep. Well, he. Let's just
2: start off by saying how handsome he is. Very good hair. looking. I mean, if that doesn't give you some kind of a a twitch somewhere in your body, you know, something wrong with you, as I look deep into your eyes.
0: What What was the award called,
2: Eric? Uh, Ballon d'Or. What does that oh, mean? One, I'm not going to be ashamed word, to ask.
1: Gold ball.
0: Gold ball. Is that for the best player? Like
1: best player in soccer for 2013.
2: Yeah. Hmm. Well, I mean, it, I would imagine it probably came down between him and maybe Messi.
1: Messi and Frank Ribery was also a finalist.
0: And I think Messi's had some injury issues. Mm-hmm. He's littler, too. Um, but people don't like little guys. I can tell you that from experience. Ben Sherman is little. Unless,
2: you're, unless you're the shoe-in winner, they're really going to try hard not to give you any kind of award.
0: Yeah, I mean, it would be I would be hard pressed to say anything really against Ronaldo mm-hmm. versus Messi and who's the better player. But um, he is a prolific goal scorer. He I is. think Messi maybe is the better all around player in terms of distribution and also Kobe Bryant loves Lionel Messi. So I think Messi plays a little
2: bit better um, in traffic and close, you know, kind of close range, um, manipulating the goaltender, kind of in that immediate area Mm
3: -hmm.
2: um but where and Ronaldo's good at that too but I think Messi's a little bit better but I think where Ronaldo kind of one-ups Messi at least is um he's got a much deeper range I think he scores and probably more than most people in in the game if not everybody Mm -hmm. but he can score from yards and yards away um just really really nice and accurate from from deeper
0: positions in the field Ronaldo had 66 goals in 56 games, which is pretty incredible. Mm -hmm. Was last crowned the world's best player in 2008. He's 28 years old now, and I always think of him as, like, when I first saw him, like a 22-year-old. But, yeah, he's a dominant goal scorer. Like like you said, I think maybe Messi is a little bit better, a little more artistic in close. Yeah. Um, But that
2: big frame, he's got that huge frame. And outside of having, I think, a a deeper range, he's a
0: big target um, for corner kicks. Mm-hmm. And and Ronaldo, it says here, won 28% of the vote. Messi, 25%. Ribery, right around 23% of the vote. So, obviously, it was very close. Yeah. Um, I got no problem with it. I got no problems with you people. I don't. I, you know, I have no airing of grievances with Ronaldo winning the award. You don't? No. How about feats of strength? I'm stronger than him, if that's what you're asking. I Probably I, better I, at I soccer, too. Yeah, and better looking. Well, that, duh. that goes without saying. Um, Eric, how many more questions do you have first? And then what's the next question?
1: I have four questions to go.
0: Yes. I like Eric questions. They're fun. They are.
1: Who are the top contenders in Olympic hockey?
0: Ooh. I like this. I like this. Obviously, you've got let the newbie take it first, and then I'll let the pro go. Um, Who are they going to have in goal for the United States?
2: I'm not sure. Jonathan Quick. Jonathan Quick. Quick.
0: Um, I think that you know he doesn't always have the best numbers, but I think in events like this, he can kind of come alive. I think obviously the Russians with Ovi. Yeah. Uh, the Canadians, as always. Um, I was hearing a little talk about maybe the Swiss? No? Did I make Sweden? that up? Yeah, Sweden. 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 I'm sorry. That would make i um And so, sense. you know, I guess those would be the four that I would talk about. I agree. Canada is going to be
2: the toughest team to beat. I mean, obviously, they've got much, they're playing with a much bigger deck, I think, than most other countries are. The U.S. Always, yeah. The U.S. is surprisingly in the conversation,
1: mm-hmm.
2: thanks to guys like Zach Parisi and Ryan Suter and, you know, um, Jason Zucker, people like that.
0: But. Not as deep of a team, obviously, as the Canadians.
2: Not as deep. Probably, I would say. It'll be really, I, I'm really curious to see what Russia does, how those pieces kind of fit together.
1: Yeah, um, and being the home team, I'm interested to see that.
2: Yeah, and how they respond to that. Because, I, I mean, they've been competitive in years past, but it's really, at least more recently, just come down to the U.S. and Canada. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but again, you have so many Scandinavian countries that have such talented players. I mean, how many NHL players are from like Finland or, or Sweden? Um, so I mean, never, I, I never count out any of those kind of Northern Scandinavian countries, but I really think it's going to be Canada's, Canada's medal to lose.
0: Yeah. The, the U S got the silver in 2010. They've got Patrick Kane, Ryan Miller, Parise, a suitor, mm-hmm. um, a good, a great, great lineup. And in Canada, I mean, you just look at Sidney Crosby, Rick Nash, Luongo, Duncan Keith, um, Russia's got Ovi, Malkin, Pavel Datsuk, uh, Ilya Kovalchuk. So they're, they're going to be in it. Um, and then I'm just looking at some other, you know, kind of contenders here. Yeah. They, they like the Swedes. Um, just reading online here. They've got Lundqvist and Zetterberg. Slovakia. Marian Hosa. Slovakia. Marian Gabarik. Ooh. And Switzerland. Um, the Swiss? Kind of the kind of the last, last team that they have in here. Um, and Tamu Solani. God, how old is he for the Finns? Oh, he's a hundred. What's going on? <laughs> there? But I mean the Finns should be good. Mm-hmm. They should be.
2: They've got Salani, um, the Koivu pair, should be playing for them, and then I would imagine maybe Tuka Rask playing in goal.
0: Barkov. Yeah. Alexander.
2: Alexander. Alexan- he sounds Alexan- like he, Alexander Barkov. He sounds like he crawled under the border
0: from Russia. Perhaps. Probably sometime during the Finno Russian war. But yeah, I think I think I, I think what you said, Eric, it'll be interesting to see how Russia handles it as the home team. That's mm-hmm. always kind of a little added pressure, especially when hockey's such a big sport for them. Who's playing goalie for Canada? For Team Canada? Mike Smith? Mike Smith. Hmm. How about him? I don't know anything about him. What's his face look like? Uh, a goalie? Okay. With a mask on. Okay. It. okay. Well, that makes sense. <laughs> Eric, next question.
1: In college basketball, Syracuse, Arizona, and Wichita State are the last of the undefeated teams. Mm. Which one stays undefeated longest? Ooh.
0: I guess the easy answer would be Wichita State, given the conference that they play in. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the the, the Pac-12 uh, for Arizona is probably right for the taking, but I would imagine they lose a game somewhere in there. Uh, Wichita State has Drake, uh, Evansville, Indiana State, Southern Illinois, Bradley. So I, I, I would think Wichita, Wichita State. It seems like they probably have the
2: easiest path.
0: Yes. But I hate Arizona. They've got a really Arizona's got a really good young player uh in Gordon the the freshman he's actually would remind you a lot of uh Blake Griffin if you watch him play just kind of a ridiculous athlete um and their whole team is up tempo really talented I don't think Arizona's the best team in the country even though they've played the best mm-hmm. um it'll be interesting interesting to see how they do
2: I I just I'm I'm a I'm a believer in Jim behind I don't know why well he sells me
0: the zone is always uh, it's an oppressive zone. It's, it is. It's hard to. It's hard to. It's hard to practice against it because nobody runs it as well as Syracuse, mm-hmm. and that always makes some kind of a wild card in the tournament. Plus, they're very talented.
2: They are. And what I what I found interesting um, about watching them was, they've yeah. got a ton of guys that are about you know for college basketball standards, relatively average size that are just more athletic than nine out of ten guys on the basketball court.
0: Especially with that length in the zone, it can be so disruptive. And and that, w- what you just said, is kind of Beheim's he said that's his approach. I want to get a couple super talented freshmen, whether or not they stay, I you know, I can't control. Yeah. And then kind of the, the next level down of recruits that you hope will stay to be sophomores and juniors, and then a couple of seniors on each team. And he always seems to have that, that good mix. Um, little factoid, Wichita State lost to Louisville in the Final Four last year. Ooh. So... Could make a very similar run this year, I think. Is it the Shockers' year? Could be. I have a Shockers' hat somewhere. Shocker of the world, yeah.
1: Uh, Who's your pick, Ben? Syracuse. Okay. Uh, Rajon Rondo came back last Friday. Thoughts on him?
0: He, um, on his game, on his just everything Rajon Rondo, Yep. um, I think he came back and he had like seven points, four assists in his first game, and then like two points in his second. He's obviously rusty. Mm -hmm. um his game is quickness and penetration and distribution he'll be fine um i think it'll it may take to the end of this year for him to get back um one thing that'll be interesting about rondo is that the celtics with their new coach brad stevens they're going to have a a very strong emphasis on analytics on what which type of players are are the absolute best fit for the system they want to run and rondo is not a good shooter Mm -hmm. he can't spread you out at all um It'll be interesting to see what they do with him. He's got actually a pretty friendly contract, a long contract where he's making 10 or $11 million a year. For a star point guard, that's that's really a pretty good deal. So I wonder if they're going to try to showcase him before the trade deadline and move him, or, yeah, I mean, he's still 27, 28. He could be a building block for Boston moving forward.
2: I think it's really difficult with a guy like Rondo to fit him into like that basketball sabermetrics box kind mm-hmm. of a thing because what he does as far as like improvisation and um quick thinking just re- reflexive playing can't be i don't think quantified or valued really as well and i think that's probably his strength
0: yeah and, and you're right the the sabermetricians kind of they kind of in in every sport they kind of seem to stick their nose up at everyone that doesn't think that stats and uh statistical analysis is the end-all be-all yeah but eventually at some point, humans are out there playing yeah. basketball, and it's not a spreadsheet, and that's the whole reason we play the game. Yeah. Um, so I think there has to be a little more wiggle room where the statisticians aren't so kind of elitist about the way they look at the game. And, and you're right about Rondo. Half of his game is attitude. The guy's yeah. fierce. He's willing to fight. He rebounds incredibly well for his position. Effort. The effort is second to none. Runs the floor, and it's hard to quantify how well... He or, or 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 the extent to which he makes other players better. Yeah. Um. Everyone's a threat when he's on the court because of his vision and passing ability. Um, Quick hands. He he actually is a great I think defender. An underrated defender. Yeah. yeah. And you know th- there has been some argument that he plays best on national TV games, but I don't mind a guy that gets up for the spotlight. And mm-hmm. I would want if uh you know as a Laker fan I would love Rashawn Rondo to come to town. Absolutely. I think um you just can't. There are
2: some players in some sports where you just can't make sense of it all just by looking at numbers and stuff like that, like you said about attitude and such. Um,
0: like, look at Brett Favre. Who would have thought? At, look at Brett Favre. What does that even mean? I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, Rondo, you know, uh, either last year or two years ago in the playoffs was guarding LeBron James in the post and LeBron backed away. I mean, yeah. he's got a nine-inch advantage and 80 pounds on him. Uh, but Rondo's that kind of you know, it's not the size of the dog. What is it? Not, not the size, size of the, the dog, dog and in the fight, fight. It's the, the fight, fight and the, and the dog. dog yeah. yeah, yeah. Rondo is that type of guy. Honey Badger. He's a Honey Badger. Yeah.
1: This is my last question. What are your favorite Metrodome memories? Ooh. As that building gets torn apart.
0: Oh. Metrodome? Met- I have some... Uh, my only met- Metrodome memories are, are kind of bitter yeah. ones, where I went to see the 49ers there twice, and they lost both times. One was... At the end of the Jeff Garcia, Terrell Owens era, which was a really ugly time, T.O. was basically ruining that team, called Jeff Garcia gay. Um, I've always been a Jeff Garcia fan. He said in reference to whether or not Garcia was gay, if it looks like a rat and smells like a rat, it's a rat, which was really despicable. Mm. Um, And then that game was billed as the two best receivers in the league playing against each other. T.O. did nothing. Randy Moss had four touchdowns, and I was right in the corner of the end zone, and they threw, like four fade routes right to him and it was just vintage Moss yeah so that was kind of a cool memory to see Randy Moss in his prime as I look back on it mm-hmm. um, and then last year uh, San Francisco you know was a Super Bowl I mean they went to the Super Bowl they were one of the favorites early in the year they were 2-0 and and I thought finally I'll go to a 49ers game where they win they're playing the hapless Minnesota Vikings how could they possibly lose this game they go and they played their worst game of the season lost by 10 or 13 points it was really never close and I got heckled by countless desperate, sad Vikings fans in the They're bathroom. They're in there. They hide. It was just kind of, I almost felt bad for them. Because they were like... You're never, you're never going to the... You're not going to go to the Super Bowl. We just beat you. And it was like... <laughs> It was like they were insulting themselves, <laughs> yes. but... Self-deprecation is our philosophy. It, it was like self-loathing, but also pride, and and the Vikings fans couldn't decide if they were proud of themselves mm-hmm. or just mad at other teams, and it was just this soup of ickiness. It's what I like to describe as
2: self-loathing hubris.
0: Yeah, okay. Self-hating Vikings Yeah. Fan.
2: Oh, man, I've got a ton of really great memories in that building. Roller skating. Roller skating. I got to go to Rollerdome. Um... I play. I got to play. I went to a football clinic there when I was younger. like I'm Probably elementary school, fifth grade or so. I got to go to a, a Glenn Mason-led Gopher football clinic, and they taught us some stuff. Yeah. Uh, and I got to play football there as part of my Pee Wee Football League probably two or three times. So that was fun. But I'd have to say, ugh, greatest Metrodome memory. That's really tough. Kirby Puckett? Kirby Puckett, maybe. Um... I don't know. It's just like... I'd I'd just have to pick, in general, the early to mid-90s as a whole kind of chunk of years. It was a good era. You get to go... I mean, we'd go to baseball games through, like, school or whatever, and um, it was just fun. Those blue seats. It always smells domey in there.
0: Yeah, it does smell domey. Like, kind of like a new car. Yeah. Until the end of the game. That smells like an old car. An old car filled with farts and (laughs) popcorn and vomit and beer. Also, underrated memory... When the dome collapsed and the snow fell through, <laughs> yeah. that was kind of the iconic, it's time to move on from the Metrodome moment. Yeah. It was like a relic of times past. And that puffy dome is kind of funny looking. It's yeah. like a marshmallow. Yeah, it is. Um, I was driving by the other day and it's been deflated. It now. has. They officially did it. It's kind of sad. It, the skyline doesn't look quite the same without that Michelin man puffiness no, sticking out. It's, uh... oh man. Also, I... what was the deal with that puffy dome? Why was it, was there other domes like that? I don't feel like I've ever seen another dome. Well, like, not, like the wasn't the silver
1: dome like that?
0: The Pontiac silver dome? Yeah. I'm not sure. It, I, I'm sure it, in
2: the 80s, the early 80s, late 70s, early 80s, that was the, the style. that was how they made domes. They mm-hmm. just filled them up with the air.
0: It's the puffy shirt of domes. It is.
2: Um, I, one of, my, I guess one of my favorite memories, uh, 1998. Lost your virginity on the 50 yard line. I did. God, that astroturf. <laughs> um, <laughs> No, Robert Smith in 1998, uh, a guy that kind of gets overlooked on Great running team. back. He's a great running back. Um, he would break long runs and then puke yeah. on the sidelines and right into the AstroTurf. He'd just Ralph and he'd, you know, not hide from the cameras in any any kind of way. Just come right off in view of everyone
0: and just Ralph. He was a really kind of class guy. He's a good commentator now. Yeah. Um, yeah, those Vikings teams... Just kind of tangentially had a ton of talent, mm-hmm. and I mean, you had Dante Culpepper, who had one of the weirdest careers I've ever seen. Yeah. He was either an MVP candidate or the worst quarterback in the league, he's, like every other year. He's like a mix of
2: he was like a mix of you know some Pro Bowl quarterback and Jamarcus Russell.
0: Yes, he was. Yeah, huge arm, ton of talent. Sometimes interceptions would just rule the day. Other yeah. times you couldn't stop his long ball. Yeah, it was just you could never predict what he was going to do. I think that the season that Peyton Manning broke the touchdown record, Dante had something like 39 touchdowns and 12 picks. Yeah, He would have been the MVP in any other year. Uh-huh. And then his knee exploded, his career kind of fell apart. His knee exploded, and so did his weight. Yes, it did. And then you had Randy Moss, Chris Carter, Jake Reed, as you mentioned, Robert Smith, John Randall, one John of my Randall. favorite defensive players oh, ever to watch. John Randall might be my favorite Viking of all time. The Energizer Bunny, I've never seen... I, I, I thought at his prime... Most people will disagree with me on this, but I thought he was a better interior pass rusher than Warren Sapp. Mm-hmm. Warren Sapp's kind of the gold standard D tackle pass rush guy, but I thought Randall was quicker. Mm-hmm. Um, Smaller, definitely. Maybe a better athlete yeah. and just wanted it
2: more. They once asked Brett Favre um, which defensive player in the NFL scared him most, and his answer was
0: John Randall. I would say so. He used to do the whole eye-black yeah, The black, face, yeah. And, yeah and a lot out. of barking. He did a lot of barking and said really weird, creepy things, I feel. Yeah. Anymore? Lots of good memories. Is that is that it, Eric? That's it for me. We're done with question session. I'm pooped out. We we name dropped Galuli Yeah. We talked about race in America. We talked Tanaka. We talked NBA awards. What more could you want from us? Uh, not a lot. If you want more, you're not going to get it. Uh
1: If you want more, go to our website.
0: Yeah. There it is. God, good thing we have on a Mad producer Netflix. plug. The danceports.com, The Day in Sports on Facebook, The Day in Sports on iTunes, but not the Day in Sports on Twitter. T D I S tom dick ingrid sally is ingrid with an i or an e I... it's, it's an i it's an i tom dick ingrid sally underscore brag. that's where you can find our inappropriate funny tweets and you can also get official sponsored the day in sports i heart galooly t-shirts yeah. now hot off the presses thanks for checking it out we will be back with you what day is today tuesday today's thursday but we'll be back on tuesday we'll be back with you on tuesday or whenever we roll out of bed galooly